for the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson, which you can count on despite it not being peer-reviewed. Or possibly because it wasn't. You see, our top story in this week's readout video from our Wednesday wake-up email newsletter, to which as always we encourage you to subscribe, is that the alarmist treatment of peer review as a process for excommunicating any and all heretics who question their dogmas is a misunderstanding not just of science generally, but of the, specifically of the process of peer review. And the reason we say so is that we've got yet another scandal involving that process. London-based Hindawi, a subsidiary of the publisher John Wiley & Sons, which publishes a broad range of scientific journals, is retracting over 500 papers in 16 journals in the last two years alone because of, quote, suspicious and unethical activities, end quote. Likewise, the Institute of Physics, which also fairly obviously publishes science journals, retracted 500 papers at the start of September after having retracted 350 in February. And PLOS, another scientific publisher, retracted 100 papers in August. So, if that many suspicious papers could slip through the net at three different institutions in just the last two years, what else is out there? And how much confidence should we have that anything peer-reviewed is marvelous and anything else is rubbish? Unless, of course, a peer-reviewed paper challenges climate orthodoxy, in which case the guardians are strangely willing to lash out at it. The publishers in the latest scandal seem to be doing the right thing after the fact. But the very existence of a website called Retraction Watch is a red flag that peer review is not what it seems. To lay people, the name might imply that independent reviewers read the papers carefully looking for logical or factual errors and sometimes even go into the lab and try to replicate the results. But in truth, peer review is usually unpaid, cursory, and far too often it's PAL review, where A praises B's paper this month and B praises A's the next. Indeed, it's part of the insufficiently notorious replication crisis in which efforts to reproduce the findings in peer-reviewed papers fail at an astonishing rate, sometimes because of outright data fabrication and sometimes just because of carelessness or leaping to conclusions. And, as we've commented before, it has obvious implications, including that if a journal devoted to climate science is in the hands of alarmist editors, it may very well employ alarmist reviewers to rubber stamp alarmist researchers and then have them switch coats and do it again. If so, it would certainly explain why, as Roger Pielke Jr. calculated a couple of years ago, nearly 17,000 peer-reviewed studies using RCP 8.5 have been published, even though that scenario is ludicrous. As Judith Curry commented last year about an especially egregious paper by Michael Mann and three others, peer review is so broken. So, stop using it as a talisman and start debating facts and logic. It's how, well, science is done. In the newsletter, we also note that Pierre Pralievre isn't even Prime Minister of Canada, at least not yet, but already the new federal conservative leader is in trouble with the blue ticks because he hasn't chugged the green Kool-Aid. Even the National Post, a relatively sane publication, complained that, quote, nuclear technology, carbon capture, and mining critical minerals are all components of Pierre Polyever's approach to reducing greenhouse gas emissions to fight climate change, but it remains unclear when he will unveil a more fulsome climate plan of his own, end quote. Since we at CDN know that fulsome is not a term of praise, but rather implies something excessive or even sickening, we hope that Polyevra, who generally does not respond meekly to approaches from the smart set, will stand firm not just against carbon taxes, which he already opposes, but against the whole flawed narrative from which they spring. If so, he knows where to find the facts and arguments he'll need to withstand the tempest of scorn that he'll face. Right here.
But if not, he will discover again the bitter truth, amply demonstrated by his two hapless predecessors on this very file, that you do not make friends of your enemies by making enemies of your friends. In the newsletter, we also spot a cool moth. There you go, the Atlas Moth. It's huge, it's spectacular, complete with fake cobras on its wings, and it's been seen in Washington State, and they're hoping for more. But of course, when something new happens in nature and it's seen as a positive development, by definition, it's not because of climate change. Whereas if it was something icky, we'd be hearing about climate change promoting invasive species and heralding tipping points of doom. And now, a word from our sponsor, and that's you. And we are so grateful to all the people who've contributed, including now if you buy me a coffee. It's helping us get the message out on Substack, on Rumble, and here on YouTube, where in fact we've added more than 5,000 subscribers in the last month alone. And so, I put on my best flannel shirt to say to the rest of you, politely and gently, fork over the cash, pronto. We thank you for your kind consideration, and now back to the program. Another piece we cover in the Wednesday Wake Up is a plea by the Manhattan Contrarian that California and New York not back off in their green dreams. No, not because he's a closed-minded alarmist. On the contrary, it's because he thinks the only way that some people are going to figure out that unicorn power can't replace the boring, stodgy old kind is for some sucker to try to leap on the back of this wondrous beast and gallop as far as it can take them. These people aren't the zealots. They'll insist that it worked even when they sail through thin air to a rude landing. But if a large part of the public can only learn what should be a simple lesson by watching someone else come to grief, the sooner they do so, the better. He observes, with what in other contexts might be called commendable precautionary principle prudence, that when it comes to running a modern economy on fossil fuel-free energy, given the very plausible existence of major problems, quote, surely there must be multiple small to medium-scale demonstration projects around the world showing exactly how this fossil fuel-free future system can be accomplished and how much it will cost, end quote. On the face of it, it would be insane even to endorse such a thing, let alone implement it, without this kind of basic verification. And yet, otherwise intelligent and well-informed people have done so. As he adds, quote, There isn't even a demonstration project that supplies just the electricity sector of any economy, typically about 25-35% to 35% of final energy usage, with the energy it needs free of fossil fuels. Indeed, there isn't anything remotely close, end quote. Now, California Governor Gavin Newsom certainly shows no sign whatsoever of recognizing that his policy is in any kind of trouble and modifying it, let alone seeing that it's a failure and giving it up. Rather, to borrow a line that Barbara Tuchman quoted about Philip II of Spain, quote, no experience of the failure of his policy could shake his belief in its essential excellence, end quote. But the UK and Germany are wobbling, and the contrarian argues that, as with all those people saying real socialism was never tried, if those governments buckle at the first sign of adversity, we'll never get the demonstration we need that it can't work, and then any number of other places will rush into disaster and then stagger back saying, next time for sure. Or they'll just stand around yakking. Three weeks ago, Canary Media gushed at us in an email, quote, are you ready for Climate Week NYC, end quote. Or we suppose they gushed at New York. And supposedly the theme was, Climate Week NYC 2022, getting it done. And why not? If words are deeds and wishes are horses, why should meetings not be achievements? In that spirit, we note that the IPCC recently concluded its 26th conference of the parties amid uh, recriminations. 
But for Climate Week, we got the usual stern calls to action. Quote, the science is clear. We need to have emissions by 2030, so getting it done is a call to action. Commitments are crucial, but at the heart of everything happening at this year's Climate Week NYC will be the central question of how to turn those commitments into tangible action. Also underpinning the theme is the question of how. How are we getting it done? Who is stopping us? And for whom are we doing it, end quote? Who is stopping us? Who indeed? Who are these fiends? Well, maybe it's the people who keep yakking about the need to stop yakking. To quote Wikipedia, quote, Climate Week NYC is an event that has taken place every year in New York City since 2009. Climate Week NYC is the largest of a number of Climate Week events that take place around the world throughout the year, including Africa, Latin America and Caribbean, Asia Pacific and Middle East Climate Week events, end quote. So, they've had literally hundreds of meetings globally, plus all those cop this and cop that and cop out conferences, Yet, despite outblabbing the UN itself, they've done nothing but talk. Ah, but how they talk. Quote, we need to put people at the heart of our climate transition. Policies must pros promote prosperity for all people, and business strategies must support all of society. The rewards of investing in people, equity, and justice are clear, end quote. Same time next year. Speaking of events that do not take place very often, the accession of Charles III to the throne of Great Britain, Canada, and 13 other places brought the usual ill-tempered sniping about the constitutional monarchy that has been the origin of the only functioning systems of self-government humanity has ever seen, and calls for it to do something about climate. The Times explained that, quote, the king, a passionate environmental campaigner, has abandoned plans to attend next month's COP27 climate change summit after Liz Truss told him to stay away. He had intended to deliver a speech at the meeting of world leaders in Egypt, end quote. And an AP story reprinted from America to India said, quote, King Charles III has decided not to attend the International Climate Change Summit in Egypt next month, fueling speculation that the new monarch will have to rein in his environmental activism now that he has ascended the throne, end quote. Speculation that a constitutional monarch must remain above politics? Whatever will we hear next? Mind you, these sources would throw a fit if he waited on, say, tax policy. But when it's climate alarmism, they're suddenly wishing he'd wave his scepter. Meanwhile, down in Chile, the people, given a vote, inexplicably rejected what Climate Forward called, quote, what was shaping up to be the world's first constitution to confront the climate crisis, end quote. And they rejected it decisively. Climate Forward's deep thoughts on this outcome, quote, change is hard, end quote. Say, perhaps we need the divine right of kings after all, or something else to force green policies on a dim and sullen populace. After all, Canada's own philosopher King Justin Trudeau famously opined, while he was just the heir apparent, that, quote, there's a level of admiration I actually have for China. Their basic dictatorship is actually allowing them to turn their economy around on a dime and say, we need to go green, we want to start investing in solar, end quote. And boring constitutional monarchies can't do that kind of keen stuff. We also continue our Everybody Knows series with the idea that climate change is making the weather worse. We know it because all the media coverage of Hurricane Ian says so. There are even hashtags about it on social media, which is like proof, man. But is the claim that Ian wouldn't have happened if people in Florida all drove Teslas? No. Is it that there were no hurricanes before greenhouse gas emissions? No again. Is it that they're becoming more frequent? Well, if so, the IPCC says otherwise. Is it that models predict more and stronger hurricanes? Not according to the modelers. So, what exactly are the alarmists trying to claim? And, more importantly, what do the data show? 
A March 2022 paper in Geophysical Research Letters reviewed the data on global hurricane records from 1990 onwards, which basically confines the analysis to a period where we have reliable satellite coverage. They looked at the number of hurricanes and also the standard measure of the combined wind strength, something called ACE or accumulated cyclone energy. And the results were, quote, we find that fewer hurricanes are occurring globally and that the tropics are producing less accumulated cyclone energy. This decreasing trend has primarily been driven by a significant downturn in western North Pacific TC activity, end quote. Now, it is true that they say, quote, global damage from TCs has significantly increased as well, end quote, but they add that's likely largely due to population growth and increased value of coastal assets. And remember, we're talking about global climate change. So one strong hurricane in Florida isn't the whole story, nor is Florida the whole story. The big picture, taking into account the Pacific region as well, is fewer storms and lower ACE. But if you are focusing on Florida, well, as climatologist Roy Spencer has shown, it hasn't seen a trend in hurricane frequency or strength since 1903. Some climate breakdown this turned out to be, despite what everybody knows. And another thing. Even before the underwater explosions on the Nord Stream pipelines, a prominent German politician suggested that rolling blackouts might begin happening in his country this winter in, quote, the unlikely event that the natural gas supply is interrupted, end quote. And in response, Germans have been stocking up on electric heaters, whose additional pressure on the grid makes blackouts more likely. And it gets worse, because power engineer Robert Jungnischke has warned that when you ramp up power from a very low level, there's a lot of fluctuation, and fluctuation fries electronics. His prediction is that as much as 30% of German computers will be damaged if their grid shuts down and has to be rebooted. Now, it's too late for Germany to avoid that scenario now, although we do suggest that everybody buy fresh power bars with surge protectors because those things actually wear out. But for the rest of us, here's a heretical thought. Let's not go there at all. Finally, from the co2science.org archive, we bring a study about, quote, a climation through phenotypic plasticity, end quote, which is a way of saying that if parent fish, in this case, Acanthochromus polyacanthus, run into change conditions, their offspring also often seem better prepared. It's sort of like that evolution thing people are very keen on until we're talking climate change, at which point suddenly it turns out that nothing nice can adapt, so it dies, and everything horrible doesn't have to adapt, so it flourishes. For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson, and I know a sensible fish story from Fishy Peer Review.